I was, you know, going around paying my respects, saying hi to everyone, you know, being the nice, polite little girl that I am. And um, she pokes me in my belly. And she goes to me, is there anything in there yet? I greet her, like, you know, just to kind of say, hi, how's things? How's life? How's everything going? We moved on to, yeah, I'm good, blah, blah, blah. And she's like poking me with her two fingers like this. Anything in there yet? I was shook. I did not respond. How do you respond to something like that? That's toxic South Asian community where they think that they have the right to say anything to anyone and do anything to anyone, which needs to stop. Welcome ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host Matt Brown and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go! Welcome everyone to another episode of Every Old Podcast where we get a guest on, we talk about things that have happened in their past where it may have been a bit of a low point and ask them how do they navigate that, how do they feel, what was going on, what support do you have available and so forth and ultimately come to a conclusion to ask them if it was an L or if it wasn't an L, what was it? What did you gain from that experience? And people will tell you various different answers depending on what their situation is and that's what the beautiful thing about this podcast is. It's not about everyone's going to get the same answers every single time because we're all different. We experience different things at different points in our lives and they mean different things to us. And that is okay. I am honestly grateful to every single person that has shared stories on here because I understand that depending on your background, your culture, the people, the circles you're running in, you could feel judged by the things that you share. And unfortunately, that pressure shouldn't be on you. You should feel liberated by being able to share these stories and your friends should be able to comfort you now knowing a little bit more than they previously knew about you. And I'd like to encourage every single person to find someone in your circle that you can talk to and, and reveal a little bit more about yourself and they should be able to just reciprocate that. And if not, just be able to comfort you and let you know, thanks for sharing. I love you even more now. And that's my hope for this platform ultimately. And this person I have on, oh my gosh, I'm gassed. I have spoken to him for a long while now and we just seem to hit it off we just got very similar sense of humor she's old like me so it's easier for that (laughs) um (laughs) but I I just like how people can be open and honest when it's challenging to be so when you've kind of gone through certain things but this person kind of goes against the tide when it comes to their culture and talking about certain topics and I like that because what she talks about, and I'm not going to tell you what she talks about because I'm going to let her do it in her intro because I don't want to rob her of the opportunity. But I think it's important that if you go through something that is fairly common, but people don't talk about it because it's not the done thing to do within your culture. If you've suffered mentally about it, think about all the other people that suffered about it as well. There's comfort in sharing things to the right people, let's be honest, not to the wrong people. But when you share it to the right people, there's healing, there's progress, 
there's acknowledgement, there's comfort, there's strength, there's joy, there's laughter, there's healing. And that's what it's all about. So right now, I'm going to say I have a fantastic individual. Her name is Asia. She is a beautiful human being. She's fantastic at what she does. And I love what she's about. She's she's passionate. She's compassionate. She is empathetic. She's humorous. She's human. These are all the things that I can say that she is right now because I've experienced it and I love her for it and I love her message of what she communicates to people. So thank you very much for coming on. And do you mind introducing yourself as you see fit and share what you want to? I'm actually in awe of that introduction. I'm just like, yeah, carry on. Keep it coming. (laughs) (laughs) Like, come on. (laughs) No. (laughs) I've never been introduced like that. So I'm like, yeah, I'm just like reading it in. I will bill you. (laughs) Like, yeah, keep going, Matt. Keep going. Your check's in the post. Keep it at it. (laughs) I'll remember that. No, my luck. The post be on strike. (laughs) (laughs) They're not this week. I'll keep an eye out for it then. <laughs> yeah, I'm Asia, and I run a page on Instagram by the name of Asian Miscarriage Hub. And I talk about the taboo and stigmas surrounding miscarriage and infertility in the South Asian community, as it's something that is just not spoken about enough. And I feel like we need to be supporting the community more in situations like this, where the support is very limited. That was very short, sharp, and to the point. How did you come to making that page? I had my daughter after 12 years and four miscarriages, years of infertility. Um, She was born at the brink of pandemic 2020. And when I initially started the page, it was actually my husband's idea. I have to give him credit. He actually said to me, why don't you start this page to give hope to women and couples? Because we struggled for so long. And we actually do have our rainbow baby. She's with us. So why don't you start a page, talk about our journey and, you know, let's start giving hope. I was like, yeah, fine. And to be honest, Matt, I don't really know how it took a turn to the South Asian community. I think it's when I just started sharing things. Women started messaging saying that they have been where I've been people have said things to them that have been said to me and then that's when I thought you know what actually no one speaks about this in our community and I think it's something that I need to build on and that's just how it happened. But that's beautiful and and folks you could kind of see where I got that from he's just she is who she is and she realized that there was a gap there was a void that people are probably resided in and she as an individual that is, that could easily think, I am just one person, what can I do? But she just done it. And that, that I, I've got to commend that. And I thank you for following your heart, your passion and doing that and just running with the idea. And well done to your husband as well. Thank you very much for giving that steer. And that's something I did say to someone the other day that with this podcast, I couldn't really encapsulate what I kind of wanted for it or how I would want to present it. And ultimately it's to give people hope hope that you're right now is not your forever. And I'd like mm. to think with every single episode, that is very well communicated, that things can be different to what they are right now. Just because you're on a downward trajectory doesn't necessarily mean that's where you're going to dwell. But folks, we know how it runs. I don't know much about what the what the topics are we're going to talk about, other than what they ping over to me. 
So let's see what else she said. And she said that her first L she would like to talk about is miscarriage, infertility in South Asian community. Folks, I can honestly tell you where I reside and where I used to work. Let's put it this way. I used to, I live in East London. I used to work in a place called Ilford and Seven King area. For those that don't know about it, heavily populated with South Asian folks. Love them. I've got a lot of uncles and aunties amongst them. And as I was telling Asia earlier, is that some of them aunties and uncles are telling me that if I want to have a child, and I want to have a boy's child, they'll tell me some of the karma suture positions to be getting my wife in. I'm telling you, when you see people of a certain age with skin hanging off their body like that, you kind of feel like, I don't want to think about you upside down in a helicopter. Like that, that's just not appropriate. Please stop talking to me. I just want to open a bank account for you because that's my job. But <laughs> <laughs> here we are, right? Here we are being told such things. But I understood that having a firstborn as a son was important to them. Having a family was very prominent in terms of what success looked like within a marriage. And that was me from the outside looking in. I have no idea what the pressure may have felt like being within that environment. And if you're having miscarriages after miscarriage or spells of infertility, I have no idea what that could do to your mental health and well-being. So I'm in the right, best possible way. I'm excited to hear what you're going to share. I'm sorry that you've had to go through something like this, but I'm I'm excited to learn more so I can be more knowledgeable in such instances so I'm able to help other people or have a more informed conversation. So yeah, please go back to where you feel it's appropriate to start and we'll go from there. Well, I had my first miscarriage at... 25 I was 18 weeks pregnant so it wasn't even like an early miscarriage at that point it was kind of like I don't I think I'd say I was a bit naive I didn't know what was going on and then obviously at 18 weeks it's like full labor delivery you have to do which obviously I went through did it all and stuff and you know and when I look back at it now that was very traumatic. And at that point, I didn't really realise what a big thing had happened to me. And I was told a lot of, oh, it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't God's will. You'll get pregnant again. Don't worry about it. You're still young. So, you know, all the typical taboo comments that come with having a miscarriage. So um, I just kind of went with the flow. I was just like, yeah, okay, it's fine. It happened, whatever, you know, I'll get pregnant again. But When I look back now, I was actually really traumatized because I remember just a few months later, just having the need to be pregnant. Like, I just need to get pregnant. I said to my husband, like, I need to get pregnant. You know, it was just this wanting feeling the whole time. And um, a year later, I got pregnant again, but it was actually a molar pregnancy, which they call now, but it used to be called a missed miscarriage which is known as, um, so there's a sack, but there's no yolk, there's no baby. So your body acts as if like you are pregnant. You get all the symptoms, you're having the sack there, you're vomiting, the whole thing. I had the whole symptoms. Went in for my 12-week scan and they were like, there's no baby. Nothing. There's nothing in there. And they were like, okay, we're just going to have to let it happen naturally. So, okay, fair enough. Started bleeding the whole, you know, naturally 
But I think that miscarriage actually took out of me more than any of my miscarriages. I bled for about six months, which then led me to nearly dying, I would say, because I'd lost so much blood. <clears throat> was in and out of hospital, was being told it's okay, it's normal. And I was like, I know it's not normal because I've been through it before. So I know what is normal and what is not normal. Six months down the line, my mom's like, I've had enough. We're not doing this anymore. Took me to a homeopathic doctor. And um, he literally said to my mum, like, she's on death's doorstep and you've brought her to me now. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and he goes, she's been bleeding for six months and you've brought her to me now. He just took one look at me. And um, I kid you not, Matt, within three days I stopped bleeding with what he gave me. Wow. Fair enough, you know, it happened. And then... I kind of just started to think, okay, I don't want to get pregnant now after everything I've been through. But then there comes a point in your life where you're getting older and you're like, okay, things need to start happening now. So I'd say my first miscarriage was 2008, then 2009. And then I took a break, but then I wasn't getting pregnant. So the journey of infertility starts and you're like, what's going on? What's going on? Why am I not getting pregnant? You know, two years down the line, nothing's happening. And, um, that's when like mentally I start getting affected because then by that time I'd been married about four years the questions start and then the hospital visits the gynae visits all of that starts get pregnant in 2012 it happens I miscarry again at 16 weeks <sighs> I'm like okay it's happening again let's go deliver this baby now you know have a dnc remove the placenta because I can't deliver it body's in shock, everything. Okay, fair enough, you know, whatever. Kind of just try to move on with it. Don't talk to anyone about it. It's just one of those things. It's happened. No counselling, nothing. It wasn't meant to be again. You know, the whole, you'll have another one. I'm like, yeah, I will, you know, but internally I'm like dying. You know, I'm crying within the walls, in my bed, not coming out of bed. It was a form of depression. When I look back at it now, it was a form of depression. I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to go to parties. I didn't want to see anyone. I was scared of the constant questions of why I don't have a child. When am I going to start trying? And why have I not had any kids yet? So when I look back at it now, I'm like, yeah, I was in depression. But I was just putting a mask on and just doing what it seemed normal in a South Asian community. I didn't fall pregnant again until 2015. My grandma had just passed away. Things were just all over the place. Didn't really pay attention to my body. Didn't really pay attention to anything. And um, period was late. I thought probably everything that's going on, stress, you know, lo and behold, I was pregnant. This time round, so on the 2016 one, I go to see a consultant because my husband's colleague actually contacted him saying, I think your wife's got incompetent cervix. And what is that exactly? So that is basically a weak cervix in simple words. So where your, your cervix cannot take the weight of a baby growing. Past three months, your cervix weakens and you go into preterm labor. So your, your cervix is fine for the first three months because the baby's not really that big. It's not gaining weight. It's not growing. 
to the capacity that it would after three months. And um, my auntie actually has incompetent cervix, so it can be genetic. And this is from my paternal side. So I remember calling her and saying, I need to go see this consultant, I've been told. She's like, fair enough, I'll come with you. And she had incompetent cervix. And what they do is they actually put a stitch in your cervix to just close it up so that you don't go into preterm labor. And I remember going to the consultant and he is amazing at what he does. I'm not gonna doubt him. But I remember fighting for my stitch and saying to him, I actually need one. Even though I told him my history and he was like, no, you'll be fine. Like, no, I need to have a stitch. Had a vaginal stitch put in, unfortunately it failed. I lost my son at 23 weeks. Yep, <laughs> 23 weeks. Uh, one week away from viability. And, um, and at that point, I remember actually The only thing I remember from that time is saying to my husband, go and marry someone else who can give you kids. Yeah. And he was like, what are you saying? And I was like, yeah, because I I can't give you kids. My body's not doing it. My body's failing me. I'm failing you. You might as well go find someone else. And after that, I actually don't remember what happened. I remember just standing there packing my bags because I was actually on bed rest in the hospital at that point. I was not allowed to get up or do anything just to go to the toilet, that's all. And I said to him, look, it's just not going to happen. So you might as well just go find someone else. And and that, Matt, that does happen in the South Asian community, where if the first wife cannot give children, it's quite common for the man to find someone else. And it's quite common for the in-laws to say, I'm going to find my son another wife. And where does that leave the current wife? Doesn't leave her anywhere. She's just there. So after that was said and done, your husband stayed, clearly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he did. And then how long until you decided that you thought, let's go again? I think after that one, it took me, to be honest, I wasn't quite ready. And I said to him, like, let's give it one more shot. Now I actually know what is wrong with me in a way let's give it another go and that was only because the professor who actually gave me a vaginal stitch then gave me a trans abdominal circlage which means that they cut you open like a c-section and they completely stitch your cervix up okay um call me naive here i'm trying to i feel like i can get my doctorate right now so (laughs) to help a cervix that is incompetent Mm-hmm. they can put something in it to try and help hold the additional weight if you want to carry a baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get a 2-1 here, right? Yeah. Then we go to this, because of the tea that you just mentioned. So they cut you open. call it a tack. A tack. Mm-hmm. So they cut you open and then now they... Like they've, a C-section. Like a C-section. And now they've done additional work in there. What is the reason for that? To just help secure... The cervix is completely shut now. Okay. They literally just leave a little gap. It's like a pinch for you to get pregnant and to have a period. That's it. So it's to increase your chances of Mm -hmm. carrying a child. Okay. Carrying a child. 
So when I lost my son at 23 weeks in 2016, it was in April. By August, I'd had the tack fitted in. He was like, you need a tack. And I was like, fine, fair enough. I was actually in Turkey, Antalya when he called me because I was like, I need a break. I was like, I just need to get away from here. I need a break. And um, I was like, yeah, fine. You know, I'll come and get it done. Big surgery, C-section, you know, the way they do it. But it was something that I suppose I was willing to do because I wanted and I was longing to have a child. But it wasn't until four years later I had a... So there was infertility in between that as well, where I just wasn't getting pregnant again. Was there anything different done that enabled you to fall pregnant the last time? No. I honestly thought that it was the tack that was not helping, but it was... I'd been to the gynae, I'd been, you know, the whole doctor's thing was happening again. And it was just, and when I did fall pregnant, I just fell pregnant. And how was that pregnancy for you? Because I'm assuming with so many miscarriages prior to that, I know, I know that for my personal journey, our first pregnancy was, it wasn't touch and go, but my wife got, I can't remember, it's OC, is for the medical condition but we had to get seen weekly because if my son went full term there was a higher chance he would have been stillborn so we had to get done wow, okay. at 37 or 38 weeks i can't remember that but that was what had to be done and when it came to the twins okay it's even more complicated because it's twins her pregnancy was a lot more heavier a lot more strained but yeah. when we found out it was twins it's like that makes sense but we didn't know that prior so it was just a bit like what's happened why self fatigue yeah but then we had to go and get, well, if the people that don't know, if you're having twins or multiples, you don't go in for only two scans. You go in for scans every four weeks. If they have separate placentas, if they share the same placentas, it's every two weeks you're going in for scans. So mm. it's a lot and it's very intense. It seemed like my wife was potentially going to have OC again. So they were monitoring that. It was a lot of stuff, but as much as I could have been scared and concerned about her well-being and the babies because my daughter was actually smaller than her brother and it meant that if she fell outside of 20% difference in size they wouldn't they wouldn't terminate so they wouldn't stop the pregnancy to save her they would just let it go and just leave her be and that was devastating for us to hear yeah. because selfishly you're kind of thinking I know they exist I want them. And it sounds completely selfish, especially considering talk about infertility, but I'm talking about from my perspective on our journey. But then if I'm thinking, right, I've gone through so many miscarriages and I say so many, because even one is too many, in my opinion. Yeah. And then, you know, stage infertility where things are just not happening. And then now I've fallen pregnant. I had my son and at 23 weeks, 23 weeks is a long time to be pregnant and then to suddenly go, sorry. So me recounting that, I feel like a bag of nerves. I can only imagine how you and your husband felt. It wasn't an easy pregnancy. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. At 10 weeks, I had a hemorrhage. They told me she has a 20% chance of survival, the pregnancy. There was a massive clot in my sac and they said 48 hours will know if pregnancy is going to go ahead or you're going to miscarry (laughs) yeah we were like okay obviously I was prepared and I said to them okay this is happening again 
I'm just going to mentally prepare myself for this now because it's happened before. Nah, I'll just deal with it when it happens. You know, because you've already been through it so many times. You just kind of know, like, okay, you know, it's going to happen. My mum and dad, they kept prayers at home one day. And 48 hours later, it switched around to 80% survival and 20% chance of miscarry. How did you feel when it, when when they suddenly went from 20%? Oh, I was elated. I was so happy. But I was happy to the point where I didn't want to jinx being happy. Yeah. So I was even scared to be happy. I just kind of went, okay, thanks. And that was it. I was like, okay. I think when you go through so much, like, you're scared of jinxing it. You're just scared of having any moment of happiness that will end in, like, a failure or in a loss. And I went off sick from work. My employers were amazing. Um, You know, a lot of employers are not understanding, and I know that. My employer was great, and she actually said to me, (laughs) she actually said to me, I want you to go off sick for the rest of your pregnancy, and when you deliver, you're going straight on to maternity. I don't want to see you here. We are not taking this risk. Because when I lost my son at 23 weeks, I was actually still working for them. I've been there for about 10 years now. Wow. Yeah. So she was like, we are not taking the risk this time. You just go on sick. I don't want to see you here. And... Once your sick finishes, you're going straight on maternity. So, okay, fine. It wasn't an easy pregnancy. I bled on and off the whole time. And bleeding in pregnancy is normal. But when you've had losses already, there's only one thing on your mind. Be prepared. And then I was having scans every two weeks just for myself. So they gave you like reassurance scans which was great. I had them all the way up until the end because I just needed to be sure that I wasn't going to lose the baby and the TAC was doing its job. And the TAC did do its job, which is why she's here. (laughs) Amazing fact, she actually kicked my TAC out, which no one can... It cannot be done. Well, clearly it can be. (laughs) Yeah. Even my professor was shocked when he actually cut me open for my C-section. He was like, ah, so if you plan to have another one... (laughs) I was like, yeah, lying on the C-section table, like having my C-section done is just telling me, if you plan to have another one, you're going to have to come and get another stitch. And I was like, huh, what? He was like, yeah, she's kicked it out. It's not working anymore. So basically with a tack, because your, your cervix is closed, there is no way of the baby coming out, which is why you have to have a C-section. Because obviously when you're in labor, your cervix dilates and then, you know, the baby is born, but the cervix cannot dilate, which is why you have to have a pre-book C-section. But I was having contractions without knowing I was having contractions. Bear in mind, I've never experienced like normal labor. I've had labor where I've had to deliver a stillborn or a miscarried child. I don't know what normal feels like. Your normal is very different to other people's normal at this point. Exactly. So when the doctor was doing her rounds, I was in hospital because I was bleeding again. And... um. I was strapped up to the machine and she came in and she goes to me, are you contracting? Because she was watching the machine. And I went, I don't know. She goes, you are. Okay then. And um, she goes to me, how many weeks are you? I said 37. She goes, okay, you're having the baby tomorrow. So was you going to be 38 weeks tomorrow? So it was 37 plus one. So 37 weeks is classed as term. So I was 37 plus one. Well, I'm grateful that she took her job seriously enough because (laughs) 
let's be honest, we know the NHS workers have worked hard, whether they're private or otherwise, they, they work mm. hard. They got so much to do with so little time. And it's easy to overlook some stuff because I'm sure some of us do it in our own jobs at times. Not that we try to do things wrong, yeah. but it's easy done. But the fact that she, you know, you didn't sort of wince at it from the sounds of it. You kind of was like, oh, I'm just here to do my thing, right? Yeah, I'm bleeding. I'm here, you know. Yeah. And okay. she's like, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah. She's like, have you got your hospital bag? I was like, yeah, it's there. She goes, okay, so the baby's coming tomorrow. So, okay, I have to ask, how do you feel at that point? To be honest, Matt, I was, hmm, I was, I was excited, but also in shock at the fact that I'm actually going to have a baby, that I've actually made it, we've actually done it. And there is no feeling like that from when you go through a journey like mine and to know that tomorrow you're actually going to have a baby in your arms. There's no feeling like it. That is, yeah, that is beautiful. So how did that feel going through all of those things within the South Asian community? Because I would imagine in any community that would have been an ordeal and then some. Mm. But clearly your page is more focused on the South Asian influences and the cultural experience. How do you feel that differs for other cultures? I feel like when it comes to marriage, pregnancy, even jobs, what your kids do, it's very toxic. Because in our South Asian community, if you're over the age of 25, you get talks of not being married. Why are you not married? Who's going to marry you? Because you're over 25. You know, you get those talks. When you do get married, if you don't have a baby within the first six months, there's something wrong with you. Why, have you not, why are you not pregnant yet? What's wrong? Has she been to the doctor? Have you had her checked? And it's always her. It's not him. It's always her. And I think we need to really focus on that because it's never the man's fault in our community. There's always something wrong with the woman. And within a year or two years, still no baby. Right, she needs to go to the doctor. You need to take her here. You need to get her checked. Is everything okay? I've even had someone DM me on my Instagram and say that a relative of hers actually said to her, are you doing your bit in the bedroom because you're not getting pregnant? What does that look like, doing your bit? Well, it's her, isn't it? Like I said, let's focus on her. Is she doing her bit in the bedroom? That's toxic society. Yeah. I literally, when she told me that, I was like that quiet I don't know what to say to her I don't understand what gives anyone the right to speak to anyone about what happens in the bedroom or why they haven't had a child or why they are not falling pregnant it's a personal choice and especially with our community where we do have a lot of arranged marriages it's quite normal and I always say like when you have an arranged marriage you have to get used to the person that you're suddenly living with you've never lived with them you've never like hung out with them you don't know what their attributes are you don't know how they live they don't know how you live you have to adjust yourselves first you know but our society is just like you're married for a year why haven't you had a child yet how does that make you feel there's just unwanted pressure i felt a lot of pressure from people that i didn't know from people who I think didn't have the right to talk to me like that. Because like I mentioned earlier, it got to a point where I'd stopped going out 
I'd stopped going to parties, I'd stopped going to weddings because I was sick and tired of being asked, why are you not pregnant? Why don't you have a child? When are you going to have a child? And they think it's the norm. They think it's okay. And I think a lot of the women that I faced kind of forget that they might have gone through that as well. As I mentioned to you earlier on when we were talking that a miscarriage rate is one in four. That is very high. The South Asian community is so big. You can only imagine how many women must have gone through that. But they tend to forget that they were there once as well. But because they're older and wiser in some way, it's okay to question the younger generation. Can I play devil advocate and ask, do you think it's because when they were going through it and they kind of kept it to themselves, going through their silent struggles, let's call it that, they eventually became pregnant by hook or by crook. We've had a conversation mm. about how many different ways people can become <laughs> pregnant. You know, I know someone that can help you with that. Yeah. They get pregnant. Now they're in with the Joneses. They don't want to have empathy with you, potentially because it will bring them back to a place that they don't want to revisit. And because they're in with the cool kids, let's call it, they don't want to jeopardise their place within that circle. Do you think that potentially plays a part in it? Um, I don't think it does, if I'm quite honest with you. What I actually think is the problem is education. Lack of education? Yeah. And I feel like it's a generational thing as well. They are doing what their mums did, what their grandmas did. And it's just been passed down and they just see that as the norm. Whereas in fact, it's not normal to do that. But because they've seen their elders do it, they think it's normal to do it to the next generation. Whereas our generation, as my dad likes to call us, we are the why generation. <laughs> we have to know why. We have to know where this has come from, where, that, where it says that. Why do we have to do this? we are kind of like, where does it fit in with our religion? Where does it come in our culture? But if I look at my mum and dad, they just kind of went with the flow. They just did what their mum said, what their dad said. My mum's always like, oh, I never questioned my mum like that. I'm like, yeah, well, I, I, I need to know. Like, why? And I just think it's a generational thing that is happening. And our generation is trying to break that now. And I don't think they like it. Why? Because... We are obviously trying to tackle the taboos and the stigmas. We're trying to normalise these talks. Whereas for them, it's, we shouldn't be talking about it. Why are we talking about it? In my household, since I have started speaking out, miscarriage infertility is the norm. My dad talks about it, my brothers talk about it. We just talk about it normally. Whereas if I was to go to another family function external family will still be hesitant to talk to me they won't talk about what i do on instagram even though they follow me they won't because in their eyes it's still a taboo it's still a stigma and why am i talking about it it's not seen normal and that's what your page does it normalizes that conversation which i think is important and the reason for i think it's important is because uh, this is something i'm learning the more i have conversations around this and the pages i follow it's acknowledging a life that could have been mm. and in some instances should have been because if yeah. it's your baby, you're kind of thinking, no, they should have been here. Would you say that 
them not talking to you or acknowledging what's happening. But actually, no, let me not make assumptions. Did they acknowledge the miscarriage that you've had even after it's happened? Or was it just a straightforward, we're not talking about that? It was acknowledged in the fact that it wasn't meant to be. That's it. So did they ever engage in conversation with you about the child? So Bliss Charity, I think, would sort of have people say, you know, they'll acknowledge a child's birthday when it's due and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And they'll celebrate it. I love that. I love mm-hmm. that because I would never think about it because I've not been in that realm. But I guess if I was, I would have probably still said, yeah, they would have been this age or happy yeah. birthday, so and so. Would you have liked people to have done that with you? Do you know when it actually happened, Matt, I was, <clears throat> sorry, I was so brainwashed in the fact that I never used to talk about my children. I never spoke about them. I never spoke about my daughter that I first lost or my two sons that I lost. I never acknowledged them because I was told it wasn't meant to be and that's what I accepted and I just got on with it. And now that I've had Aida and I've started talking more, I've started to acknowledge it more now and I'm starting to show people that it is normal to talk about your kids whether I mean it was something I shared on my Instagram today I don't know whether you saw it or not but a few weeks back or a month ago there was this big story out about when you lose a baby when you miscarry or lose a baby part of the DNA cells remain with you for the rest of your life which is why we hold such a close connection to the babies that we've lost yeah I did see that story today and Honestly, I thought it was because in the episode that Orla was on, where she spoke about her miscarriage, I think it was uh, Mila Kunis, I want to say. I could be completely wrong. I do apologize if I got the name wrong. But she mentioned the same thing on her podcast where she said that. Is it Mylene Class? There we go. It was her. <laughs> completely butchered the name and made one up. That was embarrassing. Um <laughs> So yeah. yeah, it was It was all that, over. It was everywhere. Yeah, and it's and I think that kind of education lets people know that's why I'm carrying feelings because I'm carrying that unborn child in me still. Yeah. The DNA that should be external to me is internal to me. And this is like I just wish people would understand that whereas our South Asia community doesn't. So did you react in a negative way during this these ordeals because I hear when you said to your husband go find someone else because you because you know it's a done thing so Mm -hmm. what you're what you're saying in that instance from what I'm understanding this is not unusual (laughs) this is a done thing yeah mate we've tried we've kind of probably gone further than we should have tried for yeah do you know what I ain't even mad if you walk out I'm giving you permission go yeah not upset go (laughs) Because that is potentially seen as is a common thing that's happened, unfortunately, to say. Mm. Did you act in an unhealthy way outside of that? Did you lash out, react poorly to everyone? I know you said you didn't leave the house much, which I can kind of get. But do you feel that you changed as a person for the worse because of what you was going through and the lack of acknowledgement of what you was going through? I don't think I did, you know, Matt. I... I think I learned to put a mask on. I learned to just cry myself to sleep 
and wake up the next day, slap a smile on, and go to work like nothing has happened. Is that good? When I look back at it now, no. But it was kind of, I wasn't allowed to be sad. I wasn't allowed to grieve the child I've lost because it wasn't meant to be. What support did you have during those times? Um, I wish I had external support. I wish I'd reached out to charities. But even that is seen as a taboo, a stigma, as to why do you need help? You'll be fine. Mum and dad were great. Obviously, your family is great. And they understand when you say, like, I don't want to go out today. They completely understand. There's been times where I've said to my husband, I'm just not doing it today, where I haven't got out of bed all day. He's accepted that. But I wish I had reached out to charities. There are so many out there. And I just want to make it normal or make or just say that it is okay to reach out to them. For someone who didn't, I wish I did. And I do want to normalise the fact that asking for help is not seen as a weakness. Because in our society, that is also seen as a big weakness and a taboo. Why are you asking for help? Why do you need to? What is mental health? This is why I feel like people of our generation, the youth, this is why they have so much mental health issues because our society thinks there's nothing wrong. You'll be fine is the answer to everything. If you can't see it, it doesn't exist. Yeah, which is why I think our, our community really struggles with a lot of mental illness. Because they can't, they're not comfortable to talk about it to their parents or to anyone else because they will be seen as a weak person. I get that. And I think another thing that plays a part in it is there were youth centres when we was younger growing up. So you could leave your house and go to a place where other people, your age group, were hanging out and you could talk to a stranger about whatever it is going on or they overheard you talk about stuff, pull you to one side and talk and there was no real consequences because they weren't mm, your family like mm, that. Mm. But now the government hasn't got enough money, supposedly, to to fund those youth centres and then wonder why crime is escalating because I'm not letting all these kids come back to my house. You mad? Get lost. Go out in the street. <laughs> so they hang out in the streets and then they get told they're gallivanting and they're doing all this other stuff. So it's, it's all like, fun youth centres get people out there let them talk about what's going on but if you're not letting them have that space to talk and express they're going to bottle it up inside and it's going to manifest in them having an online presence that is different to who who they actually are or how they portray themselves because like you said you slapped on a face and you went out and acted normal as far as we're concerned Mm. I hope it doesn't happen, but our children might grow up and slap on the face. And we're thinking, oh, everything's A-OK. But then what they're doing online, which we don't have access to because they've got an alias or whatever, yeah. they're then letting their, their, this this version of themselves out and about for everyone to see. But yeah. if we was able to have something in place for both our child and for us to have that safe environment, hopefully we could keep the communication channels open, which means that there shouldn't be a need for an alternative identification i think even before we go to like these youth centers i think it needs to start from home the youth centers are welcoming charities are welcoming they will say come and speak to us but until your parents themselves cannot acknowledge the fact that you do have a mental illness it's not going to work true because 
they need to be accepting of the fact that yes my child does need help my child is struggling or my child is suffering a lot of the times parents don't acknowledge it especially in our community and i think it needs to start from home as good as these youth centers are these charities are it's great you know there is lots of support out there now but until it's not happening at home it's not going to change the youth or the the generation that we're with i'd probably say i, I agree with you on that one I think it's because obviously if you can't go home and feel comfortable, yeah, you're always going to be putting a mask on. Yeah, you're not putting a mask going outside, but you're putting a mask on when you get yeah. home and when you're around home. Yeah. I remember when my um, my sister-in-law was pregnant with her first and um, she was about to pop any day. And I hadn't been to my dad's house for ages, ages, because they were living together. And my dad was like, why did you come over? And I literally said to him, I can't, I just can't. And that is all I said to him. And he was like, okay, I understand. That was it. Just for me to say that and for him to say, okay, I understand, meant a lot. Whereas I know that I wasn't being forced into coming over. I wasn't being told, don't be so selfish. Or you have to be happy, that's your brother, that's your sister-in-law. I was happy. Of course I'm happy. I'm getting a niece or a nephew, but it makes you realise what you don't have because you've been longing for it for so long. And when it's just there all the time, it gets really difficult. And I guess it felt like it was unattainable. It, when I when we got pregnant, mm. we suddenly saw buggies everywhere. Literally. When, yeah. when you was trying to get pregnant, all of a sudden you're thinking, where did these come from? You can see pregnant women everywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Left, right, and center was like just pregnant women everywhere. Like, where are you guys signing up? <laughs> I need to have the water that you're having. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, to be fair, right, I tell you something it's crazy. So my wife and I had twins last year. Yeah. And when we announced it to people that was expecting was having twins, one of our friends was like, "Oh, we're expecting two. Oh, congratulations! Oh, we're having twins. So are we. They were due like a week before us." Yeah, so I know like the water, like, <laughs> they live like a street away from us. It's the water. It's the yeah. water, I'm telling Unfiltered you. water in this area. <laughs> yeah, literally. It's the Ilford water. <laughs> I need to tell you one story. I'll go for it. I need to tell you a story. Oh, my God. So I had, I think I'd had two miscarriages. This is how toxic the community is, okay? This is how toxic South Asian community can be. I will never forget the story. I will always tell this story. I went to a wedding, this auntie, so-called auntie, who I do not meet anymore. I've cut her out of my life. I only saw her at weddings anyway, but I've completely cut her out. And um, I was, you know, going around, paying my respects, saying hi to everyone, you know, being the nice, polite little girl that I am. And um, she pokes me in my belly and she goes to me, is there anything in there yet? Sorry, 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 sorry. So she just approached you. Yeah. You don't talk to her outside of functions like this. No. So conversation extremely limited. Relationship is hanging by a thread at the best of times. Yeah. And she just rocks up to you. Does she even greet you or does she just project? I greet her, like, you know, just to kind yeah. of say, hi, how's things? How's life? How's everything going? And um, we moved on to, yeah, I'm good, blah, blah, blah. Moved on and she's like poking me with her two fingers like this anything in there yet that's toxic south asian community where they think 
that they have the right to say anything to anyone and do anything to anyone, which needs to stop. How did you respond to that? I was shook. I did not respond. How do you respond to something like that? Good question. How? All I remember doing was, when I actually snapped out of it, was going to the bathroom and crying in the middle of a wedding function and saying to my husband, I'm ready to go home. And saying to him, this is why I don't want to come out the house. My husband was ready to give her one. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, I back him on that, to be fair. You know, and this is what needs to change. We need to stop giving the right to these people that they've got the right to say whatever they want and do whatever they want. Because it's not on. You don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You know, they could have had a miscarriage. They could have had several miscarriages. They could have been going through IVF or an IUI. There's so many things. Maybe they've just found out that they can't have kids. You know, and it's not always something wrong with her. Maybe it is your son who can't get, have kids, but you're getting him married off because you think the girl can't conceive. Lo and behold, he gets married to a second wife and they're still not having kids. When are you going to learn? I do think it is down to education, like you mentioned. There's a guy I heard on a podcast. Um, his name's Rob Swain. And he went through male infertility and it was down to his diet and something else to do with his sperm count. And he he sort of talks about it very eloquently. He's a white guy and he talks about it. But not a lot of guys in general talk about these things anyway. No. As far as we're concerned, man, I've got this down, man. I've got, I've got yeah. the stuff. You know what I mean? I'm, they're swimming. Like, they're swimming. That's what happens, right? They they can swim hard. And it's a facade. We don't know because we don't check down there. We don't check what we're eating like that too regularly. And do we go GP? Probably not as much as we should do because it's a separate topic altogether. But women will get called into the doctor's surgery to go and have regular checkups. Mm -hmm. Men, unless you're coughing up blood, crack on, mate. Just keep doing you. And that, for me, is wrong. We should kind of work on that yeah. because maybe we could catch things out like this earlier on when we don't need. It's a bit like having a credit score to a certain degree. A credit score, when it comes to financial responsibility and how good you are with it, may not be important if you're living at home with mum and dad. But when you want to move out and you want to get a mortgage or get a rent, that suddenly becomes important. Yeah. But if you make sure that your credit score was okay when you didn't need it, when you then do need it, you're good to go. So if mm. you didn't know that your diet is shocking prior to wanting to have a child, and you're saying your swimmers aren't swimming like they should do, change that up so that when you do want to have a child and say she's okay, he's okay, or if you're in a same-sex relationship and you want to get a surrogate in there, you want to make sure that you've given yourself the best opportunity yeah. to get what you want when you want it. Because when a woman is, when a couple is going through the infertility and they're trying for a baby and it's not happening, I remember having, I had blood tests done, I had scans done, I had internal scans done, I had my tubes checked, I had my ovaries checked, and I had my, um, my egg count checked. I had all of that. And... Happy was just sperm check. Sounds a bit lopsided. I had my BMI checked. Not a man though. How'd that make you feel? Do you know what? I think I actually didn't take it that badly because I felt like 
as women, we can take a lot. And I think when it comes down to a man, it kind of makes them feel like less of a man, let's say, if they were to find out that something is wrong. But whereas if I was to find out something was wrong, I'd kind of take it in my stride, kind of cry for a bit and then be like, okay, what can I do? How am I going to make this work for me? What vitamins do I need to take? What do I need to do? Da, 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 da. Correct me if I'm wrong. That sounds like the brainwashing that you was mentioning earlier. <laughs> but I, I, I didn't take it as, as you're saying. I just kind of went with it because I knew I wanted a child. I never thought of how come he's only having a sperm check. At the end of the day, I was the one who's going to carry the child, right? And what I did find out was I do have an incompetent cervix. Okay, I have an incompetent cervix. What can I do about this? Let me do my research. Let me read. Who can I contact? I joined a group on Facebook with women who are with incompetent cervix. One in a hundred. You know, okay, success stories. I need to know, will this work? Will the vaginal stitch work for me? Will the tack work for me? There's so many stitches that I could go through those right now. This journey literally has made me half a midwife. You know what? There's a short supply. So if you just go yeah. halfway, <laughs> would help the NHS a lot. I, <laughs> I mean, I could list all the stitches that are there, but that will take too long. But those are the steps I took because I wanted to know how this incompetent cervix was going to affect me. Was there a solution? Will I be able to have a child successfully? What are the success rates? When I had a vaginal stitch put in, the success rate wasn't good, good for me, whereas attack is 98% success rate. Big difference. You know, sometimes vaginal stitch works for ladies. They've had successful pregnancies, but it wasn't for me. So what was I going to do next? So in my mind, I was already focusing on what am I going to do next? How am I going to make this work for me? And I do feel like that is because of the pressures of society on a woman. Not just in the South Asian community, but no. in general. Yeah. And I don't think I wanted the stigma of, yes, I know there's something wrong with me, but I have found a solution to it. So stop saying to my husband what is wrong with her. Why have she not been to the doctor yet? Wow. Okay. That is, it's, it's, it's unfortunate to hear that. I'm, I can't lie. Hearing you talk about how you was kind of okay to just have them do all the tests on you and was okay for him just to have that done. I'm ignorant. Prior to that conversation, I heard that guy from Rob talking about his different stuff. I would have probably thought, yeah, Carb, just check that. But realistically, when you think about it, there's so many other components that could make up my inability to help conceive a child. Mm. But the fact that you were so okay with you having to do all this stuff and say I'll have a cry and stuff like that as a guy I would feel some sort of way that my woman is feeling this way and I can't do anything about it I can't comfort you so I would rather be the one that's prodded and whatever else and told it's me that's done wrong because when you get pregnant what am I carrying what am I Mm. doing I'm thinking about the baby I want it but I'm not it's hard it's Mm. It's hard being pregnant, I'm imagining, for all the stories I've heard about it. But when you want to help and your face is pressed up against the window and you can't physically do anything. Do anything, yeah. 
that can be even more painful than anything else. Oh, I know how, how my husband struggled. I know he struggled. Whether he says it to me or not, I know he did. You know, we've been married 15 years. Congratulations. You know, and you get to know that person inside out when you've been together for that long. But as a man, he can't show his emotions, can he? Because he's a man. And that's another thing in our community is men don't cry. Men don't show emotions. So he had to be the strong one for me. That's very tough. So if that wasn't an L, what was it? What bit? (laughs) I'm totally lost now. I've spoken so much. In terms of the whole miscarriage, infertility, the taboos and stigmas, if you're saying that your experience of all those difficult and challenging times of your mid-twenties up until present, what what is it? I've got it. It's a learning journey. Okay. I learned about my competent cervix. I learned that there is a solution. I learned about our toxic community. But most of all, I've learned to be confident. That's beautiful. So if you could go back in time now, no matter what you say in the past, it's not going to change who you are and where you are today, right? You still got mm-hmm. your beautiful family and whatever else. But what would you tell your younger version of yourself when you're absolutely, it could, I don't know whenever the worst part of that journey was, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, mate, just go. Like, But there could have mm-hmm. been other times that I could have been a lot worse than that that you just haven't told me. And that's mm-hmm. fine. But what would you have told your younger self to sort of say, just hold on or whatever you need to tell them to not give up? I think I would tell my younger self to reach out for help and speak up and don't fall for the norms of the community or the society. Do you think you would have heard yourself? No. So what would have been the best way to package that message up? and present it to the younger version of yourself so that you would actually take heed to it? Do you know, I've never thought of it like that, so I don't really know. Um, I don't know. Would it be a matter of writing it down and just leaving it there for you to see? Would it be a matter of taking you to one side and just having that conversation slowly but surely over time? I ask because I'm very conscious that I've spoken to a lot of people in my life in general, and. I know that people talk to me because I'm a stranger to a lot of people. For the most part, Mm -hmm. when I say stranger, Mm -hmm. I'm not in your life like that. So you could say what you want to say to me and I'll call it as I see it. There's no Mm -hmm. malice in it. It's like, if it's black, it's black, it's white, it's white, done. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gives you a bit of a trial run to tell me what you want to tell your significant other. But the difference is there's no feeling when it comes from me. This is me just Mm -hmm. telling you as I understand the situation. When you talk to your other half, then they might say, oh, you're only saying that because back in 2012, I did this. You know, there's there's a lot of difference there. Yeah. So I know that some people might ha- got, might be going through stuff when they listen to podcasts like this or, you know, episodes like this and other episodes, but go, oh, this person's going for that. Oh, I should tell them this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might have the right answer, but you might not have the right delivery. Mm. That's where I'm interested to know how you say it because you've told me what you tell your y- younger self, which is important. But mm. then if you're telling me that you wouldn't have received it, so it's like, okay, cool. Just people, whoever's going to deliver this message, just know that may not work. We need a plan B, C, D, E, and F. Yeah. What does that look like? I think I'd probably, I think the other thing that I would say, which I didn't do, 
was not give up because technology has come so far just don't give up because that was the whole point of my page in the first place was to give hope that 12 years down the line I have my rainbow I have my baby and yeah it was blood sweat and tears but I never gave up is that you there was a lot of blood there was a lot of tears yeah, there was there was a lot of sweat there was more blood though <laughs> wow <laughs> wow <laughs> so that it's unfortunate you had to go through all of that but i am really really encouraged by the fact that you are using your voice your platform to do what you're doing and from what I understand, you do some coaching as well. Yeah. So I, to be honest, I have to give credit to my daughter either. If you had asked me, actually, let me share this with you. I went to an event on Saturday and um, it was like a networking day and they were doing some icebreakers. And one of the questions was, if you have three kids or more I want you to stand up guess who stood up I did if you had asked me three years ago if you've got three kids or more stand up I would be sitting I stood up Matt I'm a mother of five yes one living four waiting for me I class myself as a mother of five I stood up I stood up proud and I would have never have done that. And I give credit to either for making me the woman that I am today and talking about my journey, which is why I then did my NLP practitioners coaching so I can help women and couples who are going through miscarriage or infertility to be able to help them and provide them the support that I didn't have or that I was too scared to ask for. You are trying to bring a tear to my eye. Go on, one tear, one tear. Let's do I'm this. Actively trying to suck it back up through my tear duct. <laughs> really, really tried. But that was that was a big moment for me on Saturday, and that was in a room full of women, about sixty odd women, seventy women. Like new people, not people that you're familiar with. Never met them in my life. Hats off to you. I'm proud of you for doing that. And I think people do need to realise that you are still parents, whether your child's here or not. I always say, as soon as you see those two lines on a stick, you're a parent. Your whole life changes as soon as you see those two lines on a stick, especially for a woman. It does change for a man. I'm not doubting that at all. But as a woman, I'm saying, whenever I saw those two lines on a stick, I changed the way I walked. I changed the way I dressed. I changed the way I sat down. I changed the way I was going up and down the stairs. I changed what I ate. I took extra vitamins as soon as those two lines came on because I knew I was a mom. And subconsciously, I was touching my belly because I knew there was a baby in there. 
a day later, after seeing those two lines, I was touching my belly. It does put you in a very different headspace when you see those lines. Yeah. And I think people forget time in their life because they don't have a child in their arms. They automatically think that they're not parents, but you are parents. Society doesn't help because oh, I can't remember what it is, but if you're employed and you have a miscarriage, it's before 24 weeks. Mm-hmm. You don't get no maternity leave. You just get told, yeah, so when are you coming back into the office? Yeah. Which is highly inappropriate in my opinion. I think it was um, on my Instagram today actually that Scotland is the first, let me just bring it up. The Scottish government announces new memorial book and a certificate for the losses before 24 weeks of pregnancy. That's fantastic. How amazing is that? That is really good. That is that is human decency, like at another level right now. Because yeah. a loss is a loss. Let's be honest, right? And it should be acknowledged. But to sort of say, "Ah, oh, I could give you like maybe a, a day or two compassionate leave." Don't get me wrong; I'll take it. But I don't have to use my annual leave for the rest of it because there's no there's no birth certificate given anything before twenty four weeks. Which then further cements the idea that they never existed you're not yeah. a parent so yeah. no so no birth certificate no death certificate no baby in the arms and that's the part where you are then carrying this child with you still but there's nothing documented anywhere yeah. to tell you they existed so it's easy for you to then think they didn't exist but i'm glad that you kind of broke through and was able to identify that you are a parent of yeah. five you are a parent of a free nager who is here to make I look up good don't I parent of five <laughs> I look like a lot of makeup to be honest but we'll... <laughs> listen it's way past my bedtime as well <laughs> <laughs> it's all right I appreciate you staying up <laughs> no it's fine I got, I'm off tomorrow so it's okay oh gosh shrub it in um but it's, it's it's one of those things where hearing you say it like that and I've heard it said by other people but I guess because I'm not in that world it's easy for me to sort of jump in, jump out. This is something I'll, I'll touch on very briefly, but in terms of privilege, a lot of people might say white privilege this and so forth. And I get it. But my, my definition of privilege is when you can look at a situation, whether you like it or don't like it, you can decide mm. not to engage with it because you're in mm. a place of privilege. But when that mm. is your reality, you, you don't have that privilege to walk away from it. So if you've had a miscarriage, you can't look away from that because that is your reality. If I've not had a miscarriage, I can acknowledge what you're saying, but I can then easily forget some of the stuff you said because it's not my reality. I haven't personally experienced it. So having conversations like this helps me, as selfish as it sounds, to always be mindful that other people are going through a whole heap of stuff I will yeah. never understand. But as long as I'm aware of the hurt, the pain, the sensitivity of certain topics and how things are said and addressed, that will hopefully yeah. help the people I talk to to know that I'm not there to offend, I'm there to support where possible if they need it. And I'd like to think my listeners, as well as other people who talk about the conversation after they've listened to the episode, will be able to be better equipped to hold more informed discussions around this. It's not just in the South Asian community, but other communities as well, because I think it's so important that men and women alike are acknowledged for what they go through when they 
have a miscarriage, have a stillbirth, because it can strain your relationship with your partner. It can strain your own mental well-being. I'm being honest, it can make you or break you. Yeah. It's as simple as that. A relationship, the miscarriage can either make you or break you. And with saying that, anyone that's thinking about phrases they may have said or poke people in the stomach and stuff like that, if you now know that someone's relationship is strained, did your comment help that to get better or to get worse? And I'm not saying that to put it on anyone and make them feel bad. I'm sorry if I did. But I'm saying that because I'm looking at myself thinking, have I said anything like that? And I don't want anyone to make anyone they care about feel some sort of way. The thing is, like, when those comments are made, like that was made to me, they don't realise the after effect it can have. For them, it was just a comment. They made it. They did it. They got on with their lives. What about me, though? I was stuck at home. I stayed home. I didn't leave my house. I didn't leave my room. I didn't leave my bed. You know, it had a long-lasting effect. And I still remember that day like it was yesterday. Even though I've come out as a better and stronger person now, but I still use that as an example because it had affected me so much that it has stuck with me. Wow. I appreciate you for sharing. I can only imagine how hard it may have been to recount some of those situations and issues. I laugh at it now, but I didn't back then. I use that as examples now of how not to treat people and what not to say to people. I still appreciate you sharing. can be hard, can be difficult, can be challenging. I just don't see that woman anymore, so it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about your coaching. So I am known as a fertility coach. So that is helping women and couples who go through miscarriage or infertility or who are currently pregnant and are anxious throughout their pregnancy. And I provide them with techniques and we talk through their pregnancy and talk about their anxieties and I give them tasks and techniques that will help them through it. I don't deny the fact that pregnancy after a loss is not full of anxiety because it is. It can be very hard, but I feel like because I've been there, I can actually acknowledge why they, why you are anxious or why you're finding the pregnancy difficult because I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, read the book, but I'm here to tell you it is possible as well. That there's hope. There is hope, definitely hope. Just don't give up on it. It will happen. And where can people find you if they want to find you? Instagram is the best place. And what's your handle? Asian Miscarriage Hub. I I, I appreciate you. So folks, I'm going to wrap it up because of time. But I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. I hope you've learned so much about miscarriage, infertility. If any of you guys are going through stuff like that or know someone that is, please reach out. There's no harm in it. As Arshida said, that you don't want to have these avenues of support like charities and people like herself who are available and you don't use them because you're going to potentially go through stuff on your own for longer than you need to. It's it's not They're not going to look down on you. Being vulnerable is not a sign of weakness. And what I find so ironic is these communities that make out that talking about your problems is a stigma they're the ones that say we're community we're here to help each other but clearly you're not because you're telling me when I want to ask for help it's a bad thing so I don't get that don't believe the hype don't believe 
what people like that said to you. And I, I agree with what I heard recently, which was um, tradition is peer pressure by dead people. So if you are bound by tradition and feel like, oh, but we don't do that because of tradition, question why? Because things that have been put in place, was put in place by a man or a woman for one reason or another, people ran with it because they thought it was the best of a bad bunch maybe. And then as time's evolved and grown on, people can then challenge that. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't, doesn't stack up to how it should do today, then you need to say, right, how can we still get the same results, but for a different method? Because unfortunately, we don't want our families to suffer, our loved ones to suffer through things that we are perpetuating that could be seen as toxic today. Asbestos. Asbestos was used in buildings all the time, and that was the norm. But now they'll rip it out of a building because they know it's toxic. So mm. there's, there, that could be the same thing for behaviours and attitudes towards certain things around miscarriage, infertility, stigmas, and other things that are going on. So I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm encouraging you to challenge what is ruining your mental health or could be a toxic environment for yourself. I'm sure you don't want to be you don't want to be a substandard of yourself. If you struggle to think what is a good environment for you to be in, think about this. If you've got a child or a loved one, would you want them to be in that situation? And if the answer is no, you should then remove yourself from that situation and love yourself like you love them. Asia, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much for sharing. Thank you for having me. It was great. It's all right. I could have gone on all night, but yeah. You really wouldn't have. I would have cut you off a long time. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for having me on. It was amazing. I really enjoyed it. That's fine. So, folks, I do hope you enjoyed this. It was, it was very insightful for me. And I hope that if any of you know anyone's going through this or you're going through it or anything like that, please reach out to her. Reach out to any of the charities. Do not try and go through this alone unnecessarily if you don't have to because it's a lot of strain on you and your partner if the partner's still around. But just do, just be kind to yourself. The world's hard enough as it is. You don't need to beat yourself up as well. When you look in the mirror, don't just see a reflection. Look at the person that is there in front of you and just show them some love because you deserve it. So I say all that to say this. You're right now it's not your forever and there's nothing about a caterpillar that will tell you to be a butterfly i'll see you in the next one